Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. I just sense there, there's people who really could use a break this morning. Anyone really tired this morning, just really would uh, need a break or a vacation? Amen? Pastor Jeff's on vacation. We need to pray for him. And, uh, and he's on a taking a break, so please keep him in your prayers. He sends you his greetings this morning along with Helen. Let me just pray one more time. Father, this morning, Lord, I, I just sense that there's so many heavy burdens here this morning, and I thank you, Lord, for the worship team who, who leads us into praise, Lord, that you would, uh, as, we, as we worship you and as we now turn to your word, Lord, Lord, that these weights would be lifted off us, that we would be liberated in your name, that we would be made free in you, Jesus. Do it now, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. And inevitably, that means we're going to talk about leadership. So... I know that there's a lot of definitions of leadership out there, and I know that maybe you may consider yourself a leader, you may not consider yourself a leader or called to, let's say, leadership uh, per se, but I think there's, there's truths about leadership that apply to all of us as we're following Jesus, amen? And so there's principles that we can learn this morning. So this morning is going to be a little bit more of a teaching time. Last week you didn't get a sermon. So I need to give you two sermons in one this morning. Everyone's okay with that? Um, <clears throat> it's amazing how uh, we can go from the weather we're having today and yesterday, and there was an ice storm last week. But, hey. So, follow me. Um, what are we talking about? Just go back one. Yeah, we're not talking about social media. This is not Jesus' official uh, profile picture. Uh, He's not talking about Twitter. We're actually, Jesus actually wants us to follow him. But we hear that statement, follow me, right? I'm following Jesus, right? And that can be kind of like a weird phrase. Like, what are, what are we talking about? Do we understand really the implications of what it means to be a follower of Christ? You know, Christian means like Christ, to be like a little Christian or a little Christ, really. That's what the, the term actually means. And uh, I think we've, we've kind of moved away from a, a, a real depth of understanding of what it means when we say, I'm a follower of Christ. So we're going to look at it a bit today. Um, you can go to the next one. Follow me, right? Those two words. The gospel writers recorded these two little words many times. In fact, there's 18 occurrences just in the Gospels alone. Some of them overlap because some passages of the Gospels overlap from one to another. But this was a preferred command of Jesus. And as recorded, they were often uh, the first words that Jesus would say, as recorded, would say to his would-be disciples. Not unlike a lot of the sayings of Jesus, many have marveled at the paradox of these two words. For their simple, uncomplicated, and straightforward direction. Seems simple. Follow me. Seems simple enough. Yet at the same time, these two words carry a vast depth of meaning, complexity, and, and, 
in all honesty, difficulty in complying with these words. Sometimes it's hard to obey. So the broadness of implication and the depth of implication is not the result of the command itself, but of the one who commands. So we want to dial in a little bit this morning. Are you, are you still awake? Okay. I'm using a lot of big words, okay? You'll get the notes later. <clears throat> this, honing the scope of implication, this particular concern here asks what these two words require from us. And particularly, as Christians, as we follow Jesus, uh, what does that even mean for leadership? What does it mean for leadership in the community? What does it mean for leadership in the local church? Um, I, many years ago, um, I was... Uh, youth pastoring in the South Shore of Montreal, and this one young woman came up to me very sincerely, and she said, Pastor Jordan, I want to be a leader at youth. And I don't know why I said what I said. Maybe it came off a bit harsh. You have to forgive me. I'm a bit of a harsh individual. I'll try to smile more when I'm up here. But I said, really without flinching, I just said to her, there's only one qualification for leadership. Do you want to know what that is? She was all eager and wanting to know what that was. Uh, the, only, the, the only thing you need uh, to do to be a leader is, you want to know what it is, right? Okay. There's only one thing, lead, right? It's not about a title. It's not about just having that uh, on your business card or uh, at the top of your doorframe, have, having a title. Leadership really is about leading, and that's the only quality. And I know that doesn't really answer the question because it doesn't get into it, but really, it's, it's deep, okay? Think about it. So to begin, let's take a look at the verses of the Great Commission, Okay. These verses have been uh, come to be called, at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission, and they expand on the idea of what Jesus intended by his hallmark invitation to follow me. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we read this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, verse 18 actually is, is really important too because right before Jesus gives the Great Commission and he says to go, uh, the verse right before it, he lets the disciples know that all authority was given to him. The reason why we're able to go forward in the Great Commission is because we are doing so on the foundation of the authority in Christ. So, this verse gives us a calling. This verse gives us a, a mission. Okay? It, it, it not only does this a, a passage answer the question, why leadership? It also helps to answer the question of how we go about it. In the Great Commission... Jesus has essentially bestowed upon his followers, and by extension, all of us, the local church, a ministry of spiritual leadership. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look like a leader. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, you too. Despite the method employed, irrespective of the method we choose to go about 
that spiritual leadership in the lives of people around us, the heart of this leadership mandate in the Great Commission involves the passing on of the observance of what was commanded. The core of the commission is traditio, and this is just the Latin word for tradition. It just means the transmission of customs and beliefs handed down from one generation to another. This is what we're called to do. You know, we're called to receive the, the teachings that were handed down to us in the Gospels, in the, in the Scriptures. And we're called to pass that on to the next generation. We're called to, to, to pass on all that we've learned, but not just the knowledge of it, but our very lives are meant to, to be part of what it means to pass on that tradition. Now, <clears throat> I, I, my personality is I'm kind of a doer. Amen. All the doers said amen. Because when I look at a command of Scripture, the thing that kind of pops out to me in, in the Scriptures is all the action words. Probably because I just want to know what needs to be done, right? And all the doers said amen. You know, um, and if we look at the Great Commission, there's several verbs, these action words that sort of come to the fore. In this case, they're go, make, baptize, teach, and be reassured. I'm interested to know what must be done. One could argue that the actions of spiritual leadership include taking initiative and that engaging in the work of spiritual formation, even in the local church or in the community. In any context, it should be viewed as a holistic treatment affecting the whole person. We see that in baptism. It affects all of who we are. More than that, the great command presupposes the leader's own adherence and conformance to the teachings of Jesus. What am I saying by that? I'm saying that if we're going to pass something on, we first need to be living it ourselves. Amen? I think we're done, folks. If we can get that, that's good stuff. It's going to be a bit tough today, okay? Everyone okay? Everyone, everyone can swallow a bit. It's okay. Listen, I'm preaching to myself this morning. And often uh, when pastors and preachers go to prepare a message, usually the weeks leading up to that message, um, God has a way of shaping our lives to, to learn the lessons that we're about to preach. Uh, not always the case. And sometimes God will call me to preach things that I'm, I really haven't experienced or lived yet, and I need to be faithful to that. So it's not a... It's not a 100% thing, but oftentimes what God wants to do in a congregation, he'll often do in the heart and in the life of the leader. Because God wants that teaching to be effective, and he wants it not to be hypocritical, and he wants it to come from a place of authenticity, so that when we deliver it, we're delivering it from a place of we're living it, too. So that's one of the reasons why it says in the scriptures, not many should aspire to be teachers, because there's a harsher judgment um, for them. Amen? So, how can one effectively pass on what one has not yet received? Therefore, the litmus test for validating one's own receiving is, by all means, one's own application. The first work of the leader, then, is to follow. It's not enough that we know some stuff. 
What's important is that our lives reflect what we have learned. Amen? The first work of the leader is to follow. Faithful followership is priority numero uno. That's uh, Spanish for number one. For those who espouse leadership in community, in business, even the local church, uh, it is the first priority. We must first be a follower. Now, this applies, uh, it applied even to Jesus himself as our example. Jesus modeled for us exemplary leadership. Before anyone followed Jesus, he himself was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In this way, Jesus himself was depicted as first a follower and continued his followership throughout his ministry. We see in uh, John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus was committed to his father's will, his father's plan. The words he would hear the father speaking, the actions and things he would see the father doing. This is what shaped, completely uh, exemplified the ministry of Jesus. Now, the degree to which this was his M.O. was out of necessity is, is for another sermon. Our concern here relates to, degree, to the, relates to the degree in which his work was exemplary, exemplary for those who would later follow him. Is that supposed to be our take as well? Are we supposed to follow Jesus the way he followed his father. It's interesting, when my life first got turned around, uh, I'd have these times of prayer, and it was, it was a really a radical transformation, and I was just so in love with Jesus, and uh, uh, you could see me coming a few blocks away, oh, here comes Bible thumper Jordan, and, uh, uh, you know, and all my friends thought I was, you know, out of my, out of, uh, they, they thought something was wrong. And I'm on the, the city bus one day, and I'm just praying, and I'm on my way home, and I'm sincerely praying and, 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 and just asking, Lord, what would you do if you were living in me? In other words, if it was your spirit living in me, what would my life look like? How would my life be shaped if, if you had complete control, if I was completely submitted to you? Maybe some of you have asked that question too. And I just sensed that the Lord was communicating to my heart and, and, and I just put into words this way, very clearly, was the statement, I would do the same things that I did when I was in the flesh. So that always really marked me. It was something that really spoke to me personally. If God had complete control of my life, then my life would be earmarked with the same things that, that Jesus' life exemplified. His love, his compassion, and even his authority would be evident in my life. So how does that apply to us? Well, let's take a look at where Jesus practiced this exemplary leadership. Where else was he uh, as an example for us? It's interesting in Matthew 4, 
we have the account of Jesus uh, being tempted. But right before that is the account of Jesus' baptism. And there's this uh, term that academics use. It's called juxtaposition. It just means something is side by side. So you look at the context of a passage and you say, wow, right before Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the devil, um, right before that, he's baptized and he's challenged on his identity. And so let's take a look at that. Matthew records Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And I I like this photo. Also, you can see Jesus' hand on John's uh, arm almost as if John is resisting, and yet Jesus is saying, no, we, we need to do this. When John asked Jesus why he desired baptism, believing that Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel and had no personal need of repentance, Jesus' reply was telling. He said this, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Another complicated phrase. What does it mean, fulfill all righteousness? Well, whatever it means, it means at least, fulfilling all righteousness includes at least a public expression of the inward commitment that Jesus made to the complete surrender of his life for his Father's will. Let me say it another way. What Jesus was demonstrating by his life In allowing himself to be baptized, he was saying, I am committing myself to God's plan. I am committing myself completely and wholly to the Father's will, and that includes the cross. We see the cross in the picture of baptism. You can go to the next slide. Even from his baptism, we see the cross. Jesus modeled this expression of submission by being immersed. As indicated by his response, Jesus authenticated the ministry of John and later ordained baptism as a salient expression of faith. I often talk about baptism by showing off my wedding ring. Uh, Maybe you've heard me talk about that before. You know, if I don't wear this wedding ring, I'm still married. Amen. But I wear it because it's an outward symbol of an inward commitment that I've made in relationship to my wife. Amen? That's what baptism is. The wedding ring doesn't make me married. Baptism doesn't make me in relationship with Christ. But we are obedient in baptism because that's an outward expression to display an inward commitment that we've made to him. Amen? You can feel free to amen. It's okay. On a number of occasions, Jesus emphatically decrees that bearing one's own cross is a requirement for true discipleship. It's not optional. In the truest sense, following Jesus means Self-denial. You know, um, several years ago, there's a popular Christian book that came out called Purpose Driven Life. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, It's probably one of the best-selling books 
nonfiction books outside of the Bible globally in multiple languages. And because so many people wanted to know their purpose. I think you did it here as a church, right? The campaign? No? Does anyone remember? No? Anyway, um, whether or not you like that book or not is not really important. The important thing is, is to say that this book had a profound impact and influence on the lives of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And do you know what the first words in that book is? It's not about you. You want to know your purpose. It's not about you. Jesus, tell me my purpose. Are you sure you want to hear it? Yes, I do. Okay. Your purpose is, it's not about you. I get to be a bit rough with you all this morning because I'm going away on boot camp. (laughs) So I'll be gone for four weeks. So please keep me in prayer. Um, We're going up to St. Jean, Quebec, and uh, we'll be there until mid-June. And uh, it's going to be fun. Um, (laughs) Cecilia and the kids are going to Montreal to stay with Cecilia's parents, so that's all great, and uh, we'll be back in mid-June. So if you have any trouble with what I've said, um, you could just put it in the lower archive. It's not about you. We read um, here, to what degree then is the cross of Christ given to the leadership of the local church as an example of complete surrender? Taking this a step further, to what degree does the example of Christ on the cross empower the church to the faithfulness in the face of suffering? We're going through things. We, go th- we face suffering, and yet we always have the cross to look upon. We can always look back and see what our Savior and our Lord did for our sakes and know that despite the cross that we carry every day, that we know our Lord isn't some uh, Lord who sits off in heaven, but he came and lived and suffered just as we do so that he could be that perfect high priest for us. Jesus in my experience, would never ask us to do something that he himself was not willing to do. He was an example for us every step of the way. The Apostle Peter made note of Christ's example when he wrote to a group of suffering disciples. He wrote, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Following the example of Christ's complete surrender is then without question encompassed within the very calling and purpose of all those who accept the invitation to follow him. Jesus invites his followers to walk the road of the cross together. You might be saying, you know, I was promised that it would all be sunshine and rainbows following Jesus, that he would fix all my problems. You quickly find out that that is not the case. In fact, he invites us all to take up our cross and follow him. We all have things that we need to surrender before God. Some of those things in my life are more public. Some of them are more hidden. And you have some that are more public and some that are more hidden. But we all have things that we need to surrender to God. 
The extent of the invitation to follow the example of Jesus as it relates to leadership, whether in community, in business, or even the local church, was never so articulated, was never so clearly articulated as in the account of the Last Supper. Um, This is a photo from the Last Lunch or the Last Supper. Um, This is Da Vinci, 15th century. Though this is actually not what it looked like. If you go to the next one, this is probably a better picture of what the style of eating was like. You're getting a lot of teaching this morning. And as you can see, go to the next one. As you can see up there in the top right, everybody had a Snuggie. And they got it on the Shopper Network. And so they're all lying down with one arm like this, leaning and then eating. And their feet were away from them. And this was uh, the style of table that it, it was more more likely looked like. You know, Jesus said about the Last Supper, he said, you know, I long to eat this meal with you. He was talking to his close disciples. You know, Jesus knew what was about to transpire. He knew the suffering that he was about to endure. He knew the pain and the shame and uh, just the anguish that he was about to face. And it was mounting, and he could sense it, and it led up to the Garden of Gethsemane where he, he, he knew that the Father's will was that this cup wouldn't pass from him, but that he would drink the cup of suffering. And yet he wanted to spend this last meal with his closest friends, his closest followers. The culmination of his ministry was on the horizon, and in the mind of Jesus, he had the intent to communicate one final lesson. This would be Jesus' last opportunity, this side of the cross, to demonstrate exemplary leadership. In his final occasion to teach his followers, Jesus chose not the grandest of miracles. He chose not the greatest of parables, but instead he chose to wash their feet. I have set you an example for you to follow. Think about it. The first words of the disciple to the disciples were something like, follow me. His last lesson before he was to go to the cross and be arrested and face all that suffering and shame was washing their feet. Wasn't a great miracle. Wasn't a great parable. Wasn't some other long sermon. But instead, Jesus chose exemplary leadership. He chose to set an example. We read in John 13, 13 through 15, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. From his own lips, Jesus declared that the act of cleansing his disciples' feet was given to them as an example of what their ministry should be towards one another. This is a picture of leadership. 
It was now the disciples' turn to walk in the footsteps of their Lord. Suffice it to say, the act of foot washing carries with it the picture of restoration to wholeness, reconciliation, recovery of dignity, and renewal to a state of purity. Foot washing is infinitely more than simply the removal of dirt accumulated by the journey and the day. It is love at any cost. It was a symbolic act that Jesus was doing to demonstrate that whatever someone is going through or facing, that our role is to restore them. Our role is to see them reconciled. Our role is to bring them back to a place of wholeness, bring them back to a place of purity where fellowship is restored. And that may require us to take a humbled position. In fact, often it does require us to humble ourselves, to put aside our own needs, to self-deny ourselves and put aside our own interests for the sake of the other. This is what Jesus has asked us to do. It's not easy. And yet Jesus, who was king before the ages existed, and yet he, it says in Philippians, humbled himself, took upon himself the role of a servant. Do you know what the original text actually says? It says slave. Jesus became a slave for us. Put aside his position put aside his authority, put aside his prerogatives, and instead modeled for us the way we should be. And you know, when we're in Jesus, we actually have the Holy Spirit to empower us to accomplish this. Jesus is not asking us to do this exemplary leadership and this self-denial apart from the ability granted to us in the Holy Spirit. Moving on from Jesus, next to Jesus, perhaps the greatest model of exemplary leadership is found in the Apostle Paul. Here's a recent profile pic. Paul was a bald dude, I think, and uh, it's nice to have hair. (laughs) The risen Jesus said of Paul, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul's proclamation was in great measure effective because he modeled the very same exemplary leadership that he received from Christ. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And again to the Ephesian believers, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The importance of adhering and conforming to the pattern given by Christ resonated throughout the life and ministry of Paul. Paul's focus was never to gain followers for himself and unto himself, but to invite others in the journey in joining him in following Christ. Paul continually encouraged exemplary leadership. To the Philippian church, he wrote this, join together in following my example 
brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul modeled perseverance and determination to press forward to the goal, to, f- to follow the pattern laid down by Jesus. To the church in Thessal- Thessalonica, he wrote, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Paul kept everything he did to show as a model, as an example for those he was trying to lead. Clearly, just to teach the precepts of Christ without at the same time living in alignment with those precepts is not only hypocritical, it's ineffective leadership. The leadership that God has called us to as part of the church works to guard against these trappings. More than that, it validates what is being taught by the virtue of one's own life. Rarely, if at all, does the effectiveness of one's testimony exceed one's own transformation. We all, I think, have a burden to see people come to know the Lord. Revival starts with us. It starts in us. If you want to see people come to know the Lord, know the Lord. We see that Paul not only did that in his own ministry, but he encouraged the same type of leading in the lives of his protégés. Regarding teaching the young men, he wrote to Titus, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Paul reminded Titus that it was insufficient to simply teach what was correct and good. It must be lived out. In this way, exemplary leadership obligates personal integrity in order to confirm what is being taught. Paul likewise encouraged his son in the faith. To Timothy, he wrote, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And then he says this, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Not just your doctrine. I think we, we tend to emphasize that. We tend to say that right teaching and right belief is enough. It isn't. Paul said, watch your life as well as your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. It doesn't matter, church, if you know the Greek and Hebrew, if your life doesn't reflect the heart of God. It's easier to study. It's easier just to know what's right. 
Living what's right takes a whole new level, a whole new thrust behind it. In fact, I think it's impossible to live out what God has called us to do apart from his help. Exemplary leadership pairs life and doctrine together. It observes the pattern, embodies the pattern, encourages the pattern, and Jesus is the metric. Jesus is the pattern. So we've seen Scripture provides the strategy. Perhaps a helpful way to appropriate this type of leadership is to break it down into three components. And I've, I've used this quite a bit in helping people uh, in leadership. If you go to the next one. It's these three things. First, I'll do it. Whatever I'm trying to lead, I'll, I'll say, okay, watch me first. Observe the pattern. You know, I'll do it first. You watch me. The next thing is we do it together. We do it. And then the third thing is you do it. <coughs> That's a, a really simple way. I do it. We do it. You do it. Way of, of helping people to enable them to uh, be released in leadership. Jesus is the pattern. Jesus is the metric. In review of our exemplary leaders, Jesus and Paul, we find evidence for each of these components. Both Jesus and Paul modeled the way. They both enabled others to act and continually encouraged modeling the way for others. I'd like to invite the ministry team to come back. We're just going to close in prayer. Finally, exemplary leaders must, if you're taking notes, A, be a follower first. B, encourage discipleship in the context of community. Let me just say a word about that. The more I see what God has called us to, to be and to live in, in the scriptures, and the more that uh, I live my life trying to follow Jesus, trying to obey those two words, the more I see the need to live in community with one another. Part of my role here in the fall is going to be launching small groups. And I would love it if 100% of our church was meeting in small groups. That will challenge you. That will mean redefining rhythms of life. It'll, it'll call us to be open and to be vulnerable and also to allow others to be vulnerable with us. But I think the greatest thing that um, often Christians lack is accountability for what God is doing in their life. I believe God is doing some amazing things in your life. I believe God is speaking to you and desires to speak to you continually through his word. And that blessing of what God is doing, we should take advantage of that and leverage that in the lives of each other. We're all called to the ministry of uh, fellowship and being in community with one another. And I believe that biblical discipleship is always in the context of community. Thirdly, enable others to leave. You can just begin playing. I want to pray, but before I do, I just want to say that don't take this the wrong way, but there is a desperate need for leadership. Not just in local churches, Provincially, in our towns and cities across this country, in business, in education, in healthcare, in uh, all kinds of spheres, we need leaders. But we need leaders as the Bible talks about. 
not the paradigm that the world presents us. It's a leadership that serves. It's servant leadership. And if you're here today and um, this message has spoke to you and you want God to say, okay, God, I don't know where to begin, but I just, I want to invite you, Lord, to do a work of calling me towards leadership and, and put me on this path to being used by you because I want to be more effective in reaching people and helping people to follow those two words, to follow you. When we look around us, it's, we don't have to look too far to see that there is a desperate need for leaders, a desperate need for leadership. And those leaders need to be authentic. I remember asking Jesus what he would do if he had full control of my life. And remember he said, I would do the same thing I did when I had a body. You know, I was um, in youth group many years ago and I was leading, uh, pastoring a group of youth uh, again in South Shore Montreal and I had this one leader and um, he was giving me some trouble. He was just a Uh, you know, just acting out and causing problems. And so finally it came to a point where I had to sit down with him and ask him, you know, what's going on with you? What's happening? And uh, I'm concerned about you. You're acting out. You're not acting like yourself. And he was very disillusioned with what was happening in the youth group and what was happening in the church. He just wasn't feeling like he was fitting. And so we prayed together. And I just sensed that the Lord dropped this question in our conversations, and I asked him, can you help me remember the vision that you originally had for youth? In other words, what I actually asked him was, what was the reason why you came to youth all those years ago when you first started, and it was exciting, and and you're having a great time? Maybe I'll ask that to you this morning. When you come to church, is there a vision of church that you have an original vision of what church is supposed to be like. Why were you coming in the beginning? And so this young man told me, he says, honestly, if I could be honest with you, Pastor Jordan, I said, yes. He said, I was just coming for the games. I was hoping he was going to say my messages. (laughs) No one ever says the messages, by the way. Um, He was having fun. He didn't want another class. He had school all week, and he was coming in on Friday nights, and he just wanted to have fun. So I said, young man, your job now is to lead the games on Friday nights. And what the mission is, is it's your role now to give all of these young people the same amazing experience that you had when you were first coming. This young man caught fire. I never had an issue with him ever again. And he led and he did such an excellent job and he was faithful and and he had purpose and he had vision. And I believe God has put vision in all of your hearts. For this city, for this community, for this church, a dream that God has given you. I want to just release you this morning to say, let's get it done. The vision that God has placed in your heart, 
Let's see it come to fruition. Whatever God has given you, whatever that blessing that you have known from the Lord, let's hand that forward. It's impossible to define leadership without a standard. The good news is we have Jesus as our standard.